This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Lord, the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And continuing to verse 47. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, good morning, New City. My name is Ryan Zhang. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Labor Day weekend. It's also good to see the Velasco's here with us. Um, I went on a mission trip to Mazalan with New City about five years ago. That was my first time. And um, I was attacked by a shark. And there was blood everywhere on the beach. It was soaked up many towels. And Gabo took me to the hospital. And um, it was a memorable experience. And everything I said was technically true. It's just the story gets better and better every time I tell it. But it's a great trip, a safe trip, and I went back again, and I'm looking forward to going back again, and just to let you know that Callie and Gobble will have you back. All right, well, um, then going through the life of David in our Sermon Summer Sermon series, and today we are end, we'll end the series by looking at David and his songs, and one of his songs, and I hope that by looking at this song, it will help us tie this sermon series together. And we just read through the beginning and the end of this chapter, and I hope that you could take some time this weekend, this afternoon, and go back and read the entire song on your own from 2 Samuel 22. But let me begin by asking you guys a strange question, okay? A strange question. What is your relationship with rocks? What is your relationship with rocks? Not this type of rock, nor this, but this. Perhaps most of you don't go through your day or your week thinking about rocks unless you drive around Norwood and you're stumbling over those rocks. But, you know, that kind of feeds into my point. The rocks could be a good thing or a bad thing, right? If you, are, you have solid rock as your foundation of the house, of your house, then it's a good thing. If you're hiking and you run to a storm, then a large solid rock could be a shelter for you. That's a good thing. In Exodus 34, when the glory of God is coming before Moses and it was too much for Moses, how did God protect Moses? God put him in the middle of the rock. That's the inspiration behind the hymn, Rock of Ages. Now, how can rocks be a bad thing? If you're hiking and you stumble over a rock or you slip on a rock, that's a bad thing. Or if a rock falls on your head and cracks your skull, 
then it's definitely bad. For some reason, if you you get stoned to death, then it's terribly, definitely a bad thing, right? So don't get yourself stoned to death. Now, rock could be a blessing, and it could also be a curse, and that's the theme that runs through David's song here in Second Samuel twenty-two. This is David's song of deliverance, as he praises God for delivering him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, David may have written this song. Long earlier in his life, but it's placed here at the end of Second Samuel as a capstone of his story. And that's fairly common in the Bible. If you look at um, to end a, a narrative with a song of praise, so if you look at the song of Moses in Exodus 15, it comes right after the Israelites left the slavery in Egypt. And there's another song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, right before he dies. There's a song of Barak and Deborah. Song of victory after defeated the Canaanites and judges, and here in Second Samuel twenty-two, the song give us a recap of David's life, or more appropriately, it's a recap of David's relationship with God. And David calls God by many names, and the opening line is the song, "My fortress, my deliverer, my refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation, my stronghold, savior." But the analogies that runs through this whole song is rock. The Lord is my rock. And depending on your relationship with this rock, it could be a curse or a blessing to you. So, how is this rock a blessing to David? Well, first we see that the rock saves. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In the sermon series, we learned that David had many deadly encounters with his enemies: Goliath, Saul, Absalom. There were many others we didn't talk about. The one thing in common about all these enemies is they're all stronger than David. In the danger, David cries out to God, and God, in His mighty power, delivers David.、And、David compares God's salvation to a hand on high. He took me. He he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. The rock saves. That's the first blessing of the rock. And second, we see that the rock empowers David. For who is God but the Lord, who is a rock, except our God? This is my strong refuge, and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer, and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Now the scene changes from David being in danger. To him, pursuing his enemies, the God gave him strength to fight. He is now the conqueror. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them, and did not turn back until they were consumed. And we see in our series that David was victorious everywhere he went. He became the warrior king who unified Israel under him. And lastly, we see the rock. Exalts David. The last mentioning of the rock in this song, verse forty-seven. 
The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out of, from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. Now David became a powerful figure in his region. Now he wrote, "You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me." As soon as they heard of me, they obey me. In the beginning of our series, David started as a little shepherd boy, and he rose from being a little shepherd boy to being a mighty king of a nation. And God made a covenant with David that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom, and one of his descendants would be God's son. Now that's quite a promotion. But then the opposite has happened to David's enemies. The rock curses those who oppose David. The rock helps David defeat his enemies. I consumed them. I thrust them through, so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. The rock outsmarts the wicked. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. But with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. People like Saul and Absalom tried to use a little scheme to plot against David. They ended up destroying themselves. And they, the same goes with David as well. You know, he tried to outsmart God by covering up his adultery with Bathsheba, and it backfired on him. But worst of all, for the wicked, they looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but He did not answer them. The Lord has totally rejected the wicked. He turns his face away from them. Now David looks back at his life with hindsight, and he sees the rock as a blessing to him and a curse to his enemies. And this tells us something else about God.、It、takes time to know Him as your rock. The refuge needs to be tested. Rocks takes time to build on. Now David had to go through all of his enemies and even through his own sins. To know God this way, and that's the opposite of our own rocks, isn't it? We tend to rely on the first thing we find to save us. What's your rock? If bad things happen to you, what holds you up? Now, let me put it in another way: When bad things happen to you, how do you complete this sentence? At least I still have blank. At least I still have blank. Because whatever fills that blank, that's your rock. At least I still have my job. At least I still have my friends. At least I still have that vacation coming up. Now those are the things that we keep in front of us to help us through a hard time. But plug in your rock in David's song. How does that sound to you? The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the bank. To my banker, I called. From his vault, he heard my voice, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. For my reputation saves the humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For you are my lamp, O phone, and my phone lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my phone I can leap over a wall. 
This company, its way is perfect. The word of my boss proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. I mean, hope it sounds as foolish to you as it does to me. Dangers are real. Life is hard. Sometimes it takes a hard life to expose how small and weak our rocks are. And it seems ironic that David would compare God, whom he cannot see, to something as concrete and solid as a rock. And it's because through many dangers and toils and snares, he has tested God, like how you examine a rock. And we know this because we have David's songs. Let me ask you a question: If who who's the best musician in the Bible? Who's the best musician in the Bible? If you asked me this question two weeks ago, my answer would be, I don't know. But then now, after this series, the sermon, I was like, Ah,、oh, of course, it's David. The Second Samuel twenty-three calls him the sweet psalmist of Israel. And、David's story begins with songs. Before he was a warrior, he was a court musician to Saul. He was singing to Saul, and his song ends with a song of victory. And Pastor Michael talked about David being a shameless dancer. And that's all I've realized about dancing: is you don't have to be good; you just have to be shameless. <laughs> just have to put yourself out there. That's what David did. He's an accomplished musician, and he has an expansive repertoire. He has a song for almost every occasion. He writes a song of praise, song of repentance, songs of petitions, songs of lament. He even writes songs about judgment. When was the last time you heard a song on judgment? And all these songs are really about one object. They are about God. Though David cries out to God in all circumstances of life, he puts every situation in front of God to see if God would come through. And every time God does, God proves Himself to be a rock. You know what makes David? What that makes David? It makes him a rock star. Not this type of rock star, but this type of rock star. Now, God can be concrete and real, just like a rock. And you, if you're willing to build your life on, who's <laughs> still laughing? If you're willing to build your life on Him, you can be a rock. <laughs> you can be a rock. <laughs> you can be a rock star too. This is the last time I'm going to refer to Bono. Never again. But it gets better. So God does give us something more concrete and real. Now, there's a point in the life of God's people where David's songs takes on a heightened significance. Now, long after David's death, the people of Israel began to collect their songs together and created the Book of Psalms. And about half of them, as you know, are David's songs. Second Samuel twenty-two became Psalm eighteen. If you followed the reading plan to go through the Psalms in a month, you have read through Psalm eighteen yesterday. Of course, many of you, many of you are familiar with Psalm nineteen, Psalm twenty-three, 
Psalm 51, Psalm 110. Pastor Josh quoted several of them last week. They're very helpful in the sermon series because they give us insight into David's heart in different situations. But at some point in Israel's history, as David's songs were codified into the book of Psalms, they began to shape people's imaginations. The Psalms are like our worship songs. They're sung by people of Israel in corporate worship. So that means later on in Israel's history, David's personal prayers became people's corporate prayers. David's desires became Israel's desires. David's confession became Israel's confessions. David's praises became Israel's praises. If you look at Psalm 51, it was David's confession after his adultery with Bathsheba. It's an extremely personal confession. But here's how it ends. Psalm 51. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The end of Psalm 51 switches from being personal to national. David's personal repentance now became Israel's national repentance. And to some extent, we know what it's like, don't we? Now, most countries' national anthems, including our own, began as a personal poem and a song. And later on, they were adopted by the people to represent their national interest and pride. Now, these psalms are Israel's national anthems, if you will. And what makes David's song so important? Well, first, I think we can all appreciate the universal nature of David's songs. As I mentioned before, they addressed all areas of life. There's a song for every occasion, which makes a great Spotify playlist. But second, imagine many years later, when Israel was defeated and the people were sent into exiles. What it means for these people to sing the songs of their greatest king. It must have reminded them of their good old days, their golden age. But third, most importantly, David's songs not only reminded people of their good old days, but it helped them look forward to the future. Though David was great, the people now needed someone even greater. Now listen to what commentator says about 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22 is David's personal expression of gratitude to the Lord while Psalm 18 is the adaptation of that song for the whole people to sing because their well-being is now tied to the offspring of David. The people remember King David, but more importantly for them, they remember God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, where God promised that he will raise one of David's descendants to be an even greater king. God will be his father, and he shall be God's son. And when you're, when you're an exile like Daniel or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Nehemiah and you pray through the psalm, you pray through Psalm 18, you're not look, just looking about, look, thinking about David. Your eyes will now look forward to this greater king to come. Now, praying David's prayer will keep this hope in front of you because your fate now 
is tied to the rise and fall of this future king. And God knows our desires for something concrete and tangible. Now, what Israel hoped for was not just somehow that God would mysteriously make things right. They were looking forward to a real king, whom they could talk to and touch, who would walk on earth and put things right by his own actions. Their hope is concrete and solid. It takes on a specific form of a person. And we、we'll、argue that the only hope strong enough to sustain us through pain and heartache. It's not just some vague optimisms that, you know, if we believe just if we just believe in these words, then things will somehow work out for us. We also need something more concrete. You know, think of COVID. You know, back in March 2020, 2020, when you were wiping down your groceries with you know gasoline or whatever, <laughs> and, and I think we all wished that somehow this virus would just go away. But what we really needed was a cure. We needed drugs and vaccines to go into our bodies. If you have a loved one dying of cancer, I would imagine what sustains you is not knowing that that case from now there's a cure somewhere. You need a cure now. You want to see the results on the scan. If you lost someone, it's a little comfort to just know that somehow they're in a better place somewhere. True comfort is that someday we get to see them face to face. We get to hug them and tell them how much we miss them. We need something concrete to prove to us that all the sad things in the world would become untrue. I don't know if you pondered this question in the last two months. Why do we spend an entire summer looking at the life of David? You know, David's long dead. He's not doing anything any. Any good to anybody? Now, why do we care about his psalms? Well, even today, many of our worship songs today were based on David's psalms. Of course, there's a universal components to David's life. We all go through victories and defeat, palaces and wilderness, friendships and betrayals, righteousness and sins. And David's psalms gave us language to process our emotions. But our bond goes much deeper than that.、And、let me explain this in a story. You know, student debt is all the rage right now. But about a month ago, I saw this post on Facebook. A guy named Dale Schroeder grew up poor in Iowa, never married, had no children, and worked as a carpenter at the same company for 67 years, and only owned two jeans. He spent his entire life saving to send 33 students to college. The 33 strangers have formed a group called Dale's Kids. The group comprises of doctors, teachers, and therapists. They honor Schroeder for changing their lives. What a great story of selfless sacrifice! And I imagine when these Dale's Kids get together, they will exchange their stories and say to each other, "You too." And when we pray through David's Psalms. We're placing before our very own eyes the very same hope that sustained David and his people, and we will say, "You too," because just like them, our well-being is also tied to the rise and the fall of the same king. 
our hope also takes the form of a person. The Israel look forward to a greater king to come. We look back to the same king who has come. Israel built on a promise given to David. We build on a promise fulfilled. Jesus is the concrete hope that God offers to the world. Jesus deserved all the blessings and glory of heaven because he's God's own son. He was born in the city of David, the great king that God promised to David. He was not born in the palace. He was born in the stable. His own people rejected him. Foreigners mocked him as kings of the, king of the Jews. He stumbled on his way to Calvary, carrying the cross. They stretched out his arms, and the hammers fell in the nails that pierced his hands. And God turned his face away from him when he cried out on the cross. He was like the wicked in David's songs, cursed and rejected by God. He does not look like a great king that we would have imagined, but he was the great king that we needed. Because through his death, he transferred us from curses to blessings. When he rose from the dead on the third day, he gave birth to a kingdom that even death cannot conquer. The curse is broken. All the sad things that happened to him has become untrue, and that's what our future will look like. Because we're united to him, we're tied to him. To him, one day, people from all nations, tongues, and tribes will bow. And Psalm 118 says, The stones the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. That's exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 21. He said the stone the builders rejected, he has become the cornerstone. Through his death and resurrection, he is now the cornerstone of the new creation. But then Jesus adds, And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. If Jesus is who he claims to be, in other words, if his death and resurrection is the central event of everything, then it's either going to be a cornerstone for you or it's going to be a stumbling block for you. If we believe believe in who he says he is and trust him with all your hopes and dreams of life, you'll be building your life on this rock. He's transferring you from curses to blessings. All the sad things that happen to you will become untrue, just like it happened to him. If you reject him and what he has done for you, then you're still under the curse. He will become a stumbling block to you, and you will fall over and over again. And David studied this rock a long time ago from a distance. He was only able to see this vague shape dimly. But he wrote songs after songs about him. We see Jesus face to face. We see this rock rejected. And now he's become the cornerstone. It's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Can we join the singing? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this rock that you've sent in the form of Jesus. A rock that David and his people look forward to and the rock that has come and that has given us a 
assurance, the hope. We know that we have hope in him because he has come to die for us and he has raised, he has risen, risen from the dead so that we know that there is a new heaven and new earth in front of us, that all the sad things that happen to us would become untrue one day. We, come, we pray that you would come back soon to make all things new and put this hope in front of us as we pray the psalms and sing the songs to know that you are real and concrete and you are our rock that we can look forward to. Remind us, remind us, remind us of this every day. Pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.